Hey everybody, so before we jump into today's podcast, I just wanted to A, thank you guys, give you a little bit of a reminder. If you enjoy this content, however you're watching it, consuming it, please like, follow, subscribe, whatever you gotta do, comment on it if you can. Leave us a review, it really helps us out and it can help grow our platform and reach more people. And if you know someone that can benefit from this, please share it with them. If you have a question, if you wanna reach out to us, let us know. And then lastly, we have all of our amazing programs, courses, and coaching available in the resources below. So check that out, definitely take advantage of it. We have everything from free options all the way up to paid programs and everything in between to fit pretty much anyone's budget. And it's just a matter of how customized it's going to be based on the price point. So there's really something for everybody. Thank you guys. Let's get on into the episode. Yeah, fighters. What's going on, everybody? Mike here with episode 102 of the Life of a Fighter podcast. And this is my third time trying to record this bad boy. So I think this is going to be an awesome episode because I finally got the audio working. Everything's right on track. And... Without further ado, we will jump into the topic. So, we have part three of our Fighter's Guide to Brain Myths and Misconceptions. This is part of our audio book presented by Audible, which you can sign up for a free 30-day trial below. Hit that link. And just a quick mention, shout out to NutriPrice, NutriPrice.com, our official sponsor of this podcast, and also the Life of a Fighter shop. You can go to LifeofAFighter.com, boom, forward slash shop, and get all of our ebooks. Fighter guides are going to be available on there nine. Our fitness and nutrition vault is up there, so you can get access to all this good stuff. And you can even get access to our pro coaching program where you can work one-on-one with our health professional team and get you closer to your goals and teach you a realistic lifestyle throughout that process. All right, further ado, we're jumping in, like I said, to part three, and we're starting off with chapter 13. And the topic is, can brain games make you smarter? And the myth is, playing games will make you smarter. The truth of the matter is, and defined by our book, is brain training games may make you better at playing games, but the evidence that any effect is transferred to daily activities or daily living or even general intelligence is sparse and lacking real research and backing behind it. Now, that's not to say that it's not possible and that there's not some evidence there. It's just the overall evidence and support isn't really large and I think in partial, it's because of the potential funding of the the studies, but there is some support from companies like Lumosity and other brain training games. And I think this specific example is talking about brain training games specifically, but there's also been some research that ties into the benefits of just regular video gaming, first-person shooters for reaction timing and things like that. And that leads me into a little bit of an explanation of this myth and the truth behind it is if we're looking solely at these games having an overall carryover and a transfer to other areas, then yes, 100% we're not going to see that benefit. But there is a measurable impact on specific tasks and skills. For example, if we look at Lumosity, our neuro quote-unquote plasticity, then we'll see a development in our skills in those games and a potential increase in activity in that area of the brain, but it may not lead to a larger transfer of a benefit to other activities of daily living, even that may be associated to that particular part of the brain. Now, is it saying that there's 100% no causation there? No. Is it saying that there's no correlation there either? No. It's just saying that the evidence doesn't really support it yet. 
And then we go into some interesting studies, and they talk about a nun study where they were following um, a group of nuns, specifically looking at neurodegenerative diseases and Alzheimer's disease and the potential uh, delay of it or early signs. And looking at these group of nuns lived well into their 90s, if not hundreds, and they had a longer length of neuro cognition and performance and health and is it basically saying and they're trying to use this as an example does that mean that being a nun is going to improve your brain just like is it saying that these neuroplasticity games are specifically going to increase neuroplasticity as a whole no there may be other root factors there other causes other causations other correlations but it's important to look at and understand the why behind the what and that's what that example brings up. It's still very interesting, though, how some of the lifestyle factors and habits and even uh, hereditary and genetic factors came into play. But there's some things I think we can even learn from that example. And also citing um, some of the benefits that Lumosity, CogMed, Posit Science, all these other brain training tools can have, but where they maybe will, not, will come up shorter, they won't carry over as well. Um, as well as even with physical exercise or some other things that we can do, like learning a new language or learning a new skill that will have a direct impact that's measurable that we've seen over time that may not be as complex as actually devising a game that may not really even involve daily living activities, but we think is lighting up a part of our brain. So it's just a little food for thought there, especially for our athletes and entrepreneurs that are trying to do a little biohack into the brain. Just take that in to consideration when you're investing your time and energy into these activities. You may actually be benefiting more from just learning a new language or taking up a martial art or learning a new skill or dancing or something along those lines. So fun little fact. All right, let's jump on to chapter 14. So topic, does your brain shut down during sleep? The myth is when you sleep, your brain is resting and basically shuts down. The truth of the matter is your brain is actually very active during sleep, but it's just active in a different way and is having a different purpose really and is working on a different level. And then we dive into some of the major categories of sleep, whether it's the initial stages of falling asleep, whether it's our deep sleep um, or rapid eye movement REM sleep and how we kind of will fade and cross over and blend in between these stages and the, the process of it and all that fun stuff and maybe even how much time we want to spend there and then also some behavioral impact of those sleep activities and all that fun stuff. So the idea, again, bringing it back to the myth is our brain doesn't just shut off when we go to sleep, even though our body's resting and we're recovering to an extent, we're bringing up our energy levels, our brain is still firing. It's actually very active. We're just using different parts of it or different, it's going into different brain waves and there's a purpose behind it. And that's the interesting thing is we actually really still don't know a tremendous amount of what's happening in the brain while we're sleeping because a lot of times we have to actually wake up the participant in the study to understand what dreams are like with the correlation to what part of their sleep, what do they remember? What was the activity like in their brain? What part of sleep were they in? Was it REM sleep? Was it non-REM sleep? What stage? What was their hormone levels? What was their neurotransmitter levels, chemicals? All that fun stuff. So it's still a lot to be learned, but we're progressively learning more and more as time develops and as technology gets better. But again, remember, your brain just doesn't shut off. It's actually still running and operating, and we're still trying to figure out exactly what it's doing. There's the thought that it's maybe processing data from the day or filtering things or discarding things we don't need, but it's still, it is working. There's blood flow. There's all these things that are still going on in the brain. So it's not as simple as, oh, my brain's just shutting down. That's a myth. All right. Chapter number 15. So we have the topic of, are you making rational decisions? 
This is a great one, I think, because the myth is you make rational decisions. And I would even believe that I make rational decisions from time to time, whether it's talking about finances, whether it's talking about having a baby, whether it's talking about marriage or relationships or career or school or whatever it is. It, but truth of the matter is most of our thoughts are dominated by self-talk and our our conscious mind is not privy to many of the processes that lead to our decisions, meaning on the very surface, we're not really aware of all the different influences that's helping us make our decision. Is it just as simple as, well, should I turn left or right? Well, right looks like there's a sunny sky. Left looks like it's going to rain and there's pouring. What's the rational decision? All right, I want to stay dry. I should turn right. Well, it's also why, what's your rationality behind why do you want to be dry? What's the influences to like what indicates you that that weather is there is it not just what you're seeing is it the temperature is it based on what someone said prior while you're on your walk is there something else going on there's not as easy as just a rational decision and then we look at how the brain kind of operates how it's not as rational as we really think and some of the principles that explain how we can manipulate how our brain operates to present a couple of choices, especially in marketing and in sales for business owners, how can we present, let's say, three deals and kind of guide someone in the direction that we want them? If we want them to pick item number B, item, item lettered B, we want them to say, okay, option A may not be as expensive, so that seems like a good option, but also option B has some more features. And then option C adds too expensive, so we're just going to drop that one. So they're kind of creating a price point and features based on what they may want you to kind of get geared towards. And you may have a budget of, let's say, um, X amount of dollars, and item A falls in your budget, but item B doesn't. However, you see item A, and you're like, you know what? For a little bit more, I can go to item B. I'll go beyond my budget, but I'm getting all these awesome features that are there. And that's their goal. Their goal is to try and get you item B. And they price these items specifically to kind of gear you in that direction. That's just one example of how we can kind of push and manipulate the brain, maybe do a little quote unquote hack. But I think it's very interesting how we're really not making as rational decisions as we truly think we are. That's something that's really highlighted in chapter 15 in, in that myth and in the truth behind it, that there's a lot of influencers and influencees into the decisions that we're making, whether it's on our conscious level or on a subconscious, quote unquote, subconscious level or other factors and things that we're playing on that is recalled in the back of our brain. We're not even realize we're pulling from. All right. Chapter number 16. We have, are you always conscious while awake? This is a great question. So think about it very simply. Conscious, unconsciousness, those are the two states. That's the myth. The myth is consciousness comes in two states. Either we are conscious or we're not. Plain and simple, black and white, there is no gray. Truth of the matter is consciousness is a continuum that we can alter in many different ways. And also animals can be conscious in ways that may surprise us, That which we'll talk about in our next lecture, next chapter. But for now, just kind of staying on the conscious continuum, um, looking at the consciousness of our brain and where that lies, and just a couple of examples of what we go into those details. And let's look at consciousness. Okay, we're awake, we're responsive, we have certain activity in our brain, that's one side of it. Excuse me. Then we have unconsciousness, where let's say we're non-responsive, we're not, or we see a certain type of brain activity, whether it's our... Um, 
EEG tests are showing a certain type of signal response from the brain indicating unconsciousness or, again, consciousness, depending on what's happening. Um, it's not that simple. It's also a matter of where we look at different theories of consciousness, and we do, they, they discuss that in their bullet points that you can look at in the fighter's guide, is let's say I'm walking down the street, for example, and there's people around, everything. I, you would say I'm conscious, right? But now let's say someone walks by and they're wearing a hat, and you ask me down the road, uh, hey, what color is that person's hat that walked by? And I have no idea. Does that mean that I was unconscious because I wasn't aware of their hat and the color? No, I was conscious. It was just a level of conscious, again, on that continuum or on that spectrum of I was aware of my surroundings, but I may either have been on my phone or paying attention to something else, or I was conscious, but I was also spacing out and thinking about something else where I wasn't fully absorbing what was around me. So that's just one example, and I, there's a few that we give and different theories and different examples but to me that's the best one that summarizes it in a simple way but also a big understanding is you can even be awake and not even be aware of a lot of things that are going on or your your senses can deceive you and that's even going back to making rational decisions where the brain isn't as cut and dry and black and white as we think it to be all right got chapter number six i'm sorry we just did 60 we're going to 17 guys i'm booking sorry i'm a little bit on a faster pace here because i this is the third time i'm doing it and the first time i was dragging it out a little bit because i wanted to go into all these little little details and it took me longer to find the right analogies the second time i recorded it i felt a little bit better i was firing better now this is the third time so like i'm flying through i have them right off the top of my head i don't even have to look at them really um Plus, I also ate, so I'm feeling a little bit better. I've been a little bit under the weather. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Getting on a tangent here. Let's bring it back to chapter number 17. All right. So for chapter number 17, we're looking at the topic of are other animals conscious? We mentioned it in 16 in part in the myth and the truth of it. So the myth is animals aren't conscious. Truth, the brains of animals are remarkably complicated. And they are much more similar to our brains than most people think or realize. And whether we're looking at uh, violence, which is the first couple bullet points, looking at primatologists or neuroscientists that are investigating that and the activities and um, different lifestyle factors of animals, comparing it to ours. Again, it's tricky because the communication factor that really sets us apart with each other and other animals isn't there to support and make it as easy to interpret either um, body actions. But we can study brain activity, which does help understand to a certain extent. I mean, it really doesn't deliver a full understanding of a consciousness or a narrative and using the pronouns I or you or having that self-awareness. But even in some primates, we can, we can start to like create hand signals and communicate that way. And just in general, learning to understand and communicate and read emotions and having an understanding of empathy with animals and, and all those other factors. We're starting to realize that animals have a consciousness and that they're aware and the intelligence is a lot higher than what we once thought and even may still think depending on how educated the individual is looking at this topic. All right, so that's 17. Looking at 18. Last topic of this part, and I think it's a great one, especially for our athletes, entrepreneurs, this one hits home for me, is can you multitask effectively and efficiently? The myth, when you're multitasking, you're doing more than one thing at once. Truth of the matter is, when you think you're multitasking, you're actually just switching quickly between tasks, and each switch comes at a cost. So... We look at a little bit of the bullet points on multitasking. Let's dive into the truth of it comes at a cost every time we're switching. So whether we're talking about momentum, 
And the idea behind that is let's say you're writing an article and you're also simultaneously listening to a podcast and then you're simultaneously trying to hold a conversation. That's a lot to try and do. So let's say every time you're writing, you have to stop your conversation. You kind of have to tune out the podcast and then you have to write down your thoughts. And then let's say someone engages you in a conversation. You have to stop what you were writing, stop really listening to the podcast, go over to the engaging conversation or hopefully try and be a part of the engaging conversation, recite or rethink of what was the last thing you knew about that conversation, spit it out. And then again, your brain's hopping back and forth and a lot of times people think, well, look, if you look at over this last hour, I've done three different things. Yes, but did you complete any of those things, A? And B, how how real productive and how uh, effective was your task at hand and how effective was that end result? How good was that conversation? Did you get anything out of it? How good was that article or anything like that? So tying it to an athlete, it's, okay, if I have practice in the morning and then I have uh, strength training or conditioning-based practice at night, so skill practice in the morning, if my skill practice is being affected because I'm also trying to, let's say, finish a business deal or I'm also having a bad time with my uh, significant other or I'm worried about some kind of other relationship or I'm worried about an endorsement deal, you're trying to multitask in a way that's distracting you from the task at hand or even perfect example, even in your uh, strength training at night, if you're lifting or you're running sprints, you're doing your conditioning or anything like that and you're also texting, you're on the phone, you're trying to talk to people and you're not putting everything you can into your workout. It's coming at a cost of your energy being filtered into other places. So I make the comparison. I'll give you guys some light into how this ties in personally with me is I'm very, very uh, susceptible to spreading myself too thin and trying to multitask and say yes to a bunch of things because at the moment of conversation and thought, I'm like, yeah, I totally want to do that. Or I'm involved with a whole bunch of things and I want to do them all. But then I realize there's only so much time in the day. There's only so much energy. And there's only so much you can really do. So I've learned and I continuously practice this myself of trying to not multitask and saying, okay, I'm going to write a podcast. I'm sorry, write an article. Also try and record a podcast at the same time. Also try and email people back. Also try and text. Like I'm not doing anything else right now but recording this podcast, going over the material. I have my bullet points that I want to talk about. I have our plan on what we're recording and that's it. That's all I'm focusing on. My phone's not in sight. Nothing else is going on. And that's a really been a challenging thing, but the biggest takeaway, I think, for this chapter is knowing that multitasking comes at a cost that's really, in my opinion, just not worth it. And that's kind of what the point I think is being made here is execute one thing, get it done, then transition because the momentum you've created by starting, let's say, writing that article, getting the intro done, all that fun stuff, and then saying, all right, I got to stop go do something else. Now you have to revisit all those thoughts that were starting to spill to the surface of your mind and starting to spill to the front of your your brain. And I'm not saying literally they're spilling to the front, just metaphorically, they're spilling to the front of your brain here. They're getting to your fingertips. It's getting to the tips of your tongue where you're ready to put that information out. But then all of a sudden you got to stop and you got to go back and then you got to re-explore the information and then try and hopefully regain that thought. Or and again, going back to athletics, looking at and training, if you stop training and you got to go back, now you got to get rewarmed up, get your body back into the routine, all that fun stuff or in a business meeting or anything like that. If you have to step out for a stressful phone call, come back to the business meeting and then try and pick up to where you left off, it's going to be more challenging than if you just stay in that meeting, push all your phone calls till after and get that objective done. So that's to me the real big takeaway of this chapter for 18, multitasking effectively is a really possible and all the bullet points they were making. And yeah, guys, I kind of breezed through a little bit quicker on this one, uh, again, because it was my third time going through it. So I had all my bullet points and things right at the top of my 
head and the tip of my tongue. So I hope you guys enjoyed. And just to recap, we're still doing our uh, celebration of our 100th episode throughout the entire month of February. We have more giveaways, so make sure that you're liking our original 100th episode post for the podcast. Um, you're tagging friends. You put your email in on the link that we share. You can share that with your friends. Pretty much anything that you do, liking or sharing um, our social media pages, our uh Life of Fighter Proof brand social media pages and the posts that we're making about the giveaway just increases your chances of winning something. We're going to make an announcement for a winner um, this week, and then we're also going to do the rest of our winners at the end of the month. We have more Life of a Fighter Approved brands that are going to be doing giveaways, jumping on board with that, so we're going to ride this out all month long. I hope you guys are enjoying, and I hope you have a great week, and I will catch you next time. So I just wanted to say thank you guys again for watching, listening, consuming that episode. If you guys enjoyed it and you haven't already, please like, uh, please comment. If you haven't reviewed, please leave a review. If you haven't followed or subscribed, please do that as well. Again, it tremendously helps us out. And then just a quick reminder, if you guys want more resources, we have them below. We have our programs, everything from free all the way up to paid and kind of everything in between. Dial in with the customization and we have more information on different programs and resources in our newsletter. So if you haven't signed up for that, do so below. It's free. And that is it, y'all. See you on the next one.